wife will allow me to say good morning to you. If you will, turn with me in your copy of God's Word to Philippians uh, chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. Uh, for the next few weeks, we're going to be uh, detouring uh, from our First Peter uh, study that Dallas has been going through with us. And in his absence, we will be looking uh, at the entirety of Philippians chapter 1 over the next few weeks. And in our fourth week uh, together, uh, we will look at the first 11 verses of chapter 2. Uh, but this morning, our uh, scripture readings is going to come from chapter 1. And we're going to start our scripture reading in verse 1, and we'll read down through verse 11. So if you will, follow along with us as we read. And the Word of God says, this is the Apostle Paul writing here under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and he starts in verse 1 by saying, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. Amen. Will you go to the Lord with me in prayer? Well, Heavenly Father, as we've just read, this is your inerrant and infallible word. And in it, you have granted to us all that we need for life and godliness. And we know from reading your word that it is profitable for teaching, for, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. And so Lord, we pray this morning that you would open our eyes, that we may behold wonderful things from your law this morning. We pray that you would grant us wisdom as I speak and wisdom to those that hear, that as we look at your word this morning that we may be able to obey and comprehend all that you will say to us through what you have already said in your word. And so, Father, we pray this morning, as the psalmist writes, that the words of our mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. And we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. So Philippians chapter 1, this is going to be our area of study for the next uh, few weeks. And as we just read, uh, Paul is writing 
uh, to the church at Philippi here. And on a particular Sabbath day many years ago, we are given a record of the arrival of a small band of messengers uh, that Luke records for us in Acts chapter 16. And if we would have just so happened to be walking by on that day, there wouldn't be much about them that would have uh, caused us to stop and think, oh, something significant is about to happen. I can't speak for everyone here, but I know that uh, for myself, I would have just kept on walking and not been paying any attention at all. But through the providence of God, what was actually taking place on this particular Sabbath day was one of the most pivotal events in the unfolding plan of God's uh, history of redemption. And uh, these men who Luke records for us in Acts uh, chapter 16 were men who have, according to Acts chapter 17, were men who have caused trouble all over the world and have now come here to this place. And uh, so that begs the question, then, who were these men? Uh, Who were these men that Luke records for us uh, were men who caused trouble all over the world? Uh, Who were these men who had played a part in one of the most pivotal events in the unfolding plan of God's redemptive history? Who were these individuals? Well, I'm glad you asked. One's name was a man named Silas, another Timothy, another man was Luke himself, and then there was another gentleman who we all well know, or have all well heard of, his name was Paul. Roughly 20 years or so uh, have now gone by since the crucifixion of Christ, and through these 20 years, God as he's promised, uh, was working out his plan of redemption. Uh, Jesus said in John's Gospel, in John chapter 12, verse 32, And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. And so the apostles had gone out confident uh, in what Christ had told them and obedient to what Christ had commanded them to do. And they had gone out proclaiming the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. And on this particular day here in Acts chapter 16, this group of men who had been causing trouble all over the world, as Luke records, walked into a city called Philippi. And while on the surface it may seem uh, to be nothing at first glance, it's actually, uh, it was the very first time in the history of the world where the gospel places feet, if you will, on the European continent. And in this city, God had providentially proposed that the unfolding of the gospel would begin to take place. And what takes place here in Acts chapter 16 is actually pretty exciting. If you will, I would like to give you a taste of what happens. On this pivotal event in the redemptive history, there is a lady named Lydia. Here, she was a very religious lady who was a worshiper of God. And what happens in Acts chapter 16 is the Lord had opened her heart to pay attention to what Paul was saying. And she was converted. Here was a woman who on this particular day in history woke up that morning and she did not know Christ. And before she went to bed that night, the Lord had opened her heart and she came to know Christ 
and was a baptized follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. After that, then what we'll find in Acts chapter 16 was Paul exercises a demon, or as we see in that text, a spirit of divination, as the scripture says, from a slave girl. And after dealing with her, Paul was then dealt with himself, and him and Silas found themselves put in jail. And in the jail, Paul and Silas were beaten. And after they were beaten, an interesting thing happens that night. Uh, That night, we find recorded for us that Paul and Silas, after they had been beaten, were praying and singing hymns to God. And in the dark of the night, there's a rumbling and everything starts to cave in around them. The shackles coming out of the walls and the jailer that was there, thinking everyone had escaped, drew his sword, getting ready to kill himself. And then all of a sudden, Paul says, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer falls down before Paul and Silas in fear, and he asks, What must I do to be saved? What a moment. What a moment. He asks, what must I do to be saved? And Paul and Silas shared the word of the Lord with him, saying, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you and your household will be saved. And as they spoke the word of the Lord to him, they baptized the jailer and his family that very night. That's good stuff, right? God's plan of redemption was unfolding in that place. And we, by God's grace, get to read in his word about that moment in history, where at first glance may have seemed to be of nothing of significance. But at second glance, it was God providentially working in his people. And that brings us to Philippians chapter 1. Brings us to Philippians chapter 1. The Apostle Paul kept in touch with the church at Philippi. Uh, He went away and came back on his third uh, missionary journey. And then he was arrested. And he was placed under house arrest in Rome. Well, the church at Philippi sent Epaphroditus to him saying, here's some stuff for you, Paul. We love you. Paul then sends Epaphroditus back to say, here's a letter. I love you. And so, friends, that's where we find ourselves this morning. This letter that Paul sent back with Epaphroditus is indeed the letter that we find in our Bibles to the So look with me at verse 1 again. Verses 1 and 2, I want to reread them. We won't spend a whole lot of our time here because most of our time is going to be spent in verses 3 through 11. But there is something I want to point out here in verses 1 or 2 that I think, again, at first glance we might miss, uh, but of something that is indeed significant uh, for us this morning. So again there, verse 1. Paul is writing, Paul and Timothy, I want us to notice the language here. 
Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. Servants of Christ Jesus. To all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. As Paul begins to write this letter, I want us to see here just in these first two verses alone how Christ-centered this greeting is. Paul says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. Paul doesn't waste any time here telling the believers at Philippi who him and Timothy are, right? They are servants of Christ Jesus. And here, unlike we see in Paul's letter to the Galatians, for example, where there he is very clearly asserts his authority as an apostle, here what he does is he simply says, I am one who is called to be faithful. I am one who is a servant of Jesus Christ. And at the end of verse 1 he writes, To all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. And then he says in verse 2, Grace to you and peace from our God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. So what I just want us to see, just in these short verses, is that this is a very Christ-centered greeting. And you may ask, why is this important? Why is it important that we bring out this very Christ-centered greeting uh, that the Apostle Paul is writing here? Well, friends, this is what I want us to glean from this. What Paul is reminding us here through writing to the Philippian church is that the very gospel that we preach, the very gospel that we proclaim, we do so as servants of Jesus Christ. The gospel we preach is more than just a message of salvation, although it's not less than that. The gospel is about a person. The second person of the Trinity. The Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel is Christ. And when we are sharing the gospel, we are sharing who Christ is. We are sharing what Christ has done and what that means and what that means for us. And so our gospel is about Christ, and indeed, our very lives are about Christ. And so that's what I want us to see here, just in these opening verses, through this very Christ-centered greeting. The gospel is indeed about Christ. And Paul greets the church at Philippi by saying, Paul and Timothy. Servants of Christ. Servants of Christ. Let's move on. Now we're going to get into the chunk of our passage this morning, starting in verse 3. And again, we're just going to walk through this passage together. That is my plan and my hope as we go throughout the next few weeks, is to take these passages and walk through them together. I think there is so much here. We will not be able to cover everything uh, like I would 
want to cover everything, uh, but by God's grace, uh, I pray uh, that this word uh, will be a word for us this morning. So, verse 3, here we read, Paul says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. And so if you're taking notes this morning, we are looking at our passage under the subject head of a joyful remembrance. And simply, the first thing we're going to look at is Paul's grateful remembrance for the Philippians. Paul is filled with thankfulness as he remembers the Philippians, and what follows after that are reasons why he is thankful for them. So he says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. He is expressing his gratitude to the Lord for the Philippians. He is very thankful and grateful for them, but even more so to the Lord for working such kindness through the Philippian believers. Okay? So Paul here, he is starting our passage just expressing his grateful remembrance uh, for the Philippians here. And as we move through, when we get into verses 4 and 5, he expresses this thankfulness in joyful prayer. So verse 4 reads, Always in prayer, in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. Paul expresses his thankfulness through prayer. His thankfulness is made in joyful prayer on their behalf. So he prayed for the Philippians, and he did so with joy. He did so with joy. That's of some significance to us, brothers and sisters, this morning. It's amazing to see that although the Apostle Paul was writing from his Roman house arrest, with the possibility of an imminent execution, his first mention of his own feelings is that of joy, is that of joy. I love what Matthew Henry has to say about this verse. He says, quote, saying, At Philippi, the apostle Paul was evil entreated and saw little fruit of his labor, yet he remembers Philippi with joy. We must thank God for the graces and comforts gifts, and usefulness of others as we receive the benefit and our God receives glory. What a powerful quote that is. Folks, I just want to put this in perspective. Paul was beaten. He was imprisoned for the sake of the gospel. And yet, the Philippians ministered to him and his needs by sending Epaphroditus with gifts. Paul could have joy in the midst of suffering because of the kindness of the Lord shown to him through the believers at Philippi, ministering to him and caring for him. And what a lesson that is for us. That if we as individuals, right, if we are going through tough trials in our lives, if we're going through suffering and we are a part of a local church, a local body of believers that are devoted to the Lord and His Word, that can bring us much joy, brothers and sisters. That can bring us much joy in our times of suffering, in our times of need, knowing God 
will use those very believers to minister to us. What an example, friends, this should be for us here at Burton. As the Philippians ministered to Paul, so should we minister and care for our pastor. For he labors weekly, daily in the word. No doubt he struggles with many things that we don't even know about. And yet we ought to care for him. We ought to minister to him. What a what a lesson. Okay? So Paul's very first mention of his own feelings is that of joy. Well, then he moves on to verse 5, in which he says, Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. So Paul prays with joy in verse 4. Well, why is it that Paul can pray for joy in verse 4. Well, not only is it because the Philippians ministered to him while he was in prison, not only was it because of the Philippians, because of their care for Paul in his ministry, but look at what verse 5 says. It says, Paul could pray with joy. Why? Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. So now, as we move on in our text, what's happening here is Paul gives us why he is thankful for the Philippians. He gives us reasons. And the first reason that he mentions is he was thankful for them because of their partnership in the spreading of the gospel. They were supportive of him in their friendship and financial support. If we read in Acts chapter 16, there again, we read about Lydia's hospitality to them by opening her home uh, to Paul and the other men. They sent, again, they sent Epaphroditus while he was under house arrest in Rome to minister to Paul's needs there. And in chapter 4, verse 14 of the book of Philippians, we read, Yet it was, a kind, it was kind of you to share my trouble, and you, Philippians, yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, listen to this part, guys, no church entered into the partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only, even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once again. And no doubt, guys, Paul was thinking of these very moments in which the Philippians were partnering him in the, in the spreading of the gospel. No doubt he's thinking of how supportive the believers here at the church were in their partnership with him for sharing the gospel. Today, if we have someone running for an election, what we, or or let me just own it myself, what I uh, would tend to do is wait to see if they have what it takes to win, if you will. Uh, You know, you want to see what all they have to offer, right? You want to see what they're for, what they're against, uh, because all of that is going to affect your vote. All of that is going to affect how you vote. Well, unlike that situation, uh, in a greater, deeper, and higher way, what is happening here is the Philippian believers got behind Paul early in his ministry. And they didn't wait to see if he was a winner, if you will. 
And so Paul was very much thankful for that. He was thankful that they got behind him, supported him in the furthering of the gospel and sharing with him and partnering with him in the gospel. Paul goes on to continue his reasons for being thankful for the Philippians. And in verse 6, we read, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. This is probably a very well-known verse that we've heard quoted many times. Um, No doubt quoted out of context, I'm sure. Uh, But what we find here is something really tremendous, actually, and it's a tremendous lesson uh, for us, for the church. Paul, in verse 6, when he says, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Paul is not putting his confidence in the Philippians in and of themselves because of their abilities and because of their partnership. No, the scriptures bring to mind that our best, right, that our best is just filthy rags before God, right? No, God has miraculously saved the believers here at Philippi, and he is kindly and graciously working through them for the sake of God's own glory, and Paul recognizes that. Paul recognizes that very truth. He recognizes that it is God working in and through them because he recognizes that it is the Lord that he is putting his confidence in. Not the Philippians in and of themselves. Paul's confidence was in the very sovereign working of God through his people. That's what Paul's confidence was in. It wasn't in the believers themselves. Although they did many great things, although they partnered with him in the gospel, although they ministered to him in house arrest, those are good things to do, but Paul recognizes they're not doing that in and of themselves. They're doing that because God is working through them. I love what Charles Spurgeon says here. He says, where there is an instance of God's beginning any work, and leaving it incomplete? Show me for once a world abandoned and thrown aside, half formed. Show me a universe cast off from the great potter's wheel. With a design and outline, the clay half hardened, and the form unshapely from incompleteness. No. When God graciously and mercifully saves a people, He doesn't just leave them to themselves. Amen. But through His Word and through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, He sanctifies them through His truth, and He continues that great work of sanctification until the day of Christ. And that's what He does to all of those that are in Christ. Right? So Paul recognizes that it is God working through the believers at Philippi. Friends, when we see this in our own lives, we ought to make that same recognition. 
It's God the one working through his people. So Paul is thankful for their partnership in the gospel. He's thankful for God's sovereign work through the people at Philippi. Now look with me at verses 7 through 8. And I'll read those again. Paul says, It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you with all with affection in Christ Jesus. Now, in verse 7 we see uh, in, the, in that beginning phrase, Paul says, it is right for me to feel this way about you. Now this word feel here, uh, if you're reading from the ESV, uh, is not really the best translation to capture what Paul's uh, thoughts are here. But what he is actually saying uh, here in this phrase is, it is right for me to think this way about you. So in verse 7, we could read it like this, it is right for me to think this way about you all. all right, and, so what it, and so what is Paul What is Paul saying here? What is he describing here? He's describing something that's at the very core of his being, right? And we know that by what he follows that up with. He says, because I hold you in my heart. So he says, it is right for me to think about you in this way because I hold you in my heart. Now what Paul is conveying here is simply this, that even though he is physically separated from the believers at Philippi, they remain in his thoughts This is a very passionate statement from the Apostle. And what was it that caused him to feel this way? What was it that caused him to feel so passionate about them? To feel so strongly about them? Notice what he says, continuing on in verse 7. So he says, It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. So Paul is not only thankful, friends, for the Philippians' partnership in the gospel, he's not only thankful for God's working through the believers there, but he is passionate about and thankful for the unity that he has with them through Christ. The gospel has united them together by God's amazing love towards them. One person writes, When you feel the love of Christ shed abroad to you in your heart by the Holy Spirit, you will find yourself immediately drawn to others who love in the same way. And that's exactly what has happened here. Because of the grace and the love that God has shown to them through the gospel of Christ, their hearts have been unified with one another. And what a beautiful picture that is. What a beautiful picture that is. 
And not only, friends, have because of God's love and God's grace that has been shown to us through the gospel, if we are in Christ, not only have we been united with Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection, but we have also been united in love for one another for the gospel. We've been united in love to one another. God has done an amazing thing through the very gospel of Christ in that he has taken Gentile believers, those who have nothing really in common with each other. And through the gospel of Christ, he has united them. And there is a bond there that is so strong that because of the love of God shown to us, such a strong love for one another because of that love. And that's what unites us together is that very love. And Paul recognizes that. He recognizes that. He shows us this strong bond that he has with the Philippian believers. And it's all because of the gospel. The gospel all makes this all possible. Friends, we have to understand. The gospel is what unites us here at Burton. We are united in the gospel. Why? Because Christ first loved us. And that while we were yet sinners, he died for us. While we were yet sinners, while we were still living in sin, while we were still rebelling against a holy God and, and sat looking to satisfy our flesh, and our desires of our mind and our body, God still sent Christ on our behalf. That's the gospel that we are united in. And Paul is showing us that. He is recognizing that. And we should recognize that. And now we move on to the latter portions of our text. Here, uh, we find Paul praying uh, for the Philippians in a very special way. In a very special way. Let's read those verses again together so we can get this picture. Paul there again, he says, starting in verse 9, and it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now, as we move on these remaining verses this morning, we find a beautiful prayer here from the Apostle Paul. We actually get to see, if you will, uh, inside uh, Paul's prayer life here. And he says in verse 9, starting this, he says, And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. That is a uh, very interesting phrase, actually. 
um, the Philippian church, no doubt, as we've looked at already, uh, had shown much love to Paul, right? We've talked about a few examples, all right? Uh, they had ministered to him during his imprisonment. Uh, we find in Acts 16 there again, Lydia being hospitable uh, to Paul and the men. Uh, they send Epaphroditus to Paul to care for him, to minister to him. But Paul prays here that their love would abound more and more. And one commentator writes this. He says that it may be like a river, perpetually fed with rain and fresh streams so that it continues to swell and increase until it fills all its banks and floods the adjacent plains. How does that happen? How does our love abound more and more? How does Paul pray that their love would abound more and more? Well, notice what he goes on to say in verse 9. With knowledge and all discernment. With knowledge and into all discernment. This love that Paul is praying for here, that is like a river that is fed with rain and streams, is a love that is characterized by knowledge and discernment. It is the true kind of love. It's not a false kind of love. It's not an open kind of love that has no knowledge or any discernment to it. No, it's a love that is characterized by knowledge and all discernment. And Paul knew the dangers of a false love, or what we might call a blind love, because it's an open kind of love, right? It's a love without knowledge and discernment. If we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 through 7, I won't have you turn there, but what we have happening there is there is sexual immorality that is defiling the church. And a man has been found to be with his father's wife committing sexual sin, Okay? And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul strongly rebukes the church there because they glory in that kind of love. They glory in that kind of love that accepts everything, right? We kind of live in that world today where this love that we have is, is, an, is an acceptor of everything, right? From homosexuality to, I mean, you can just put whatever you want under the sun. It's an open kind of love, right? But it's a false love. It's not a true kind of love. And Paul rebukes that. He says, no, he says it's starting in, in verse 6 of, of 1 Corinthians chapter 5. He says, your boasting is not good. Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed let us therefore celebrate the festival not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and what? And truth. He goes on to say in that passage, and what I'll do is I'll paraphrase some of that. He says, don't have anything to do with them. Don't have anything to do with those that are professing Christ and yet still living in sexual immorality. Because that's an open, that's a blind kind of love, and that has no knowledge, that has no discernment, and that's not rooted in anything, especially Scripture. And so he goes on in our passage, 
to say in verse 10, so that you may approve what is excellent. And so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Listen, friends, this love that is characterized by knowledge, this love that is characterized by all discernment, this true love, this love that when we approve the things that are excellent and true and we become sincere and without offense, these things should become more and more evident in our lives as a result of this love abounding more and more and more. And they should continue to be more evident in our lives. And so he says, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Verse 11, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. How does this happen? How do we become pure and blameless? Well, we can't do it on our own. It's a work of God. It's a work of God through the Holy Spirit Feeling, I love this, filling the streams of our love with rain and fresh streams of knowledge and all discernment through His Word and using His Spirit to conform us more and more to that Word. And when that is evident of our lives, we are being filled with the fruits of through the person and work of Christ. That's how our love abounds more and more. It's a complete and total work of God. We constantly talk about the sovereignty of God here. The gospel is not about what we can do. The gospel is about what has been done. So friends, let this passage be a reminder to us that our love here at Burton should abound more and more. Not a false kind of love, not an open love that accepts everything under the sun, but a love that is rooted in truth, rooted in scripture, and a love that has all our love be that kind of love. Let us love one another with that kind of love. Let us be known by the world with that kind of love. That we may be pure and blameless until Christ comes. May that be evident of us until Christ comes back. May our love abound. Father, we are so grateful for this opportunity.
to not only come to worship your holy name, but to hear your word. Father, we thank you for this very word, this word that you have sent, this word that you have given to us for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, Lord, that we may be complete and equipped for every good work. Lord, I pray that this word would take root in our lives, that we would look and meditate on this passage and examine ourselves here at Burton and what we should be doing and how we should live in knowledge of knowing that you are single-handed. So Lord, help us to be found pure and blameless. Help us to be found faithful to what you have commanded us to do. Lord, help us to obey that with all our heart. And Father, we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. 